There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 390. And today in the show, we are tackling just about the most depressing topic in the deer hunting world, but one that we all will likely face at one point or another. And that's missing a buck and figuring out what to do next. That's what happened to me last week, actually. Hey, real quick, before we start today's episode, I got to give you a quick heads up. Season two of The Back 40, the show I host, that season has launched. It is now up on the Meat Eater YouTube channel. And the second episode of season two just dropped a few days ago. So you got to head on over to the Meat Eater YouTube channel and go give it a watch. The first episode showcases some of the work we did early this spring, our progress, our bees, a check-in with Steve Ranella, and, uh, and a look at how everything has been coming together into the early summer. Episode two, I'm joined by Doug Duran and Dan Jajo, a guy who you're going to hear from here on today's podcast soon. We're planting trees, planting food plots, and making some real serious progress this summer on the property, which led to a lot of good things for us this year. Check it on out. It's at the Media YouTube channel. I'm very proud of it. I hope you guys enjoy it. Please give it a watch. Give us a thumbs up. Give us a comment. It would mean the world. And now, today's podcast. All right. Welcome to the Wired Hunt podcast brought to you by Onyx. Today, we're talking about something that none of us really want to have to talk about, but we do. It gets swept under the rug sometimes in the hunting world. And if you're out there as a hunter and you're having experiences like this, you might feel like, oh, I'm the only guy in the world who's ever missed a deer. Or you're going to feel really bad about yourself because this thing happened and you feel like you're on an island. And when you watch TV shows, everyone seems to be perfect and they seem to be killing big bucks left and right and they do it so well. Uh, And you might be thinking, man, why can't I do that? Well, I'm here to tell you that we've all been there. It happens, and it happens to those guys that look really, guys and girls that look really good on TV too. They might not show it, but it's happening. And that's why I want to talk about missing a deer and what do you do next? Because I missed a deer here just recently. I've had kind of a devastating week. 
Uh, so I want to tell that story. I want to talk about what's happened. And also I'm here with another guy who missed a deer just recently. And he's processing and working through all that right now. And so we want to talk about that experience too. We're going to work through the stories. We're going to work through what we think we did right, what we maybe did wrong, what we can learn from it, different ideas for how all of us can kind of take that next step after missing a deer and come out the other side better and more prepared for the next shot. So with me, I've got four and a half people. To my left, (laughs) the half person just gave me the eye. (laughs) (laughs) To my left, you know, Dane, I'm going to get this wrong. I don't know how to pronounce your last name properly. Welcome welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> to my left is Dane... Acevedo. Acevedo. Okay, that's what I thought. Dane Acevedo won the hunt on the back 40. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Um, it's been maybe different than you expected. Because number one, because of, because of that virus that's going all over the country and the world these days, Steve could not come here for the hunt. Um, so we had to have, uh, some change of plans there. I know you're going to get a, a makeup because of that, but we, we still want to try to show you a good time here without Steve. So Dane, I'm glad you're here. It's been a lot of fun to have you on the property. No, it's been great. I felt like I've had my own little hunting TV show. I've just been by <laughs> myself in some of them. So it's been awesome. So Dane's to my left. To his left is Dan Jajo. Dan, yep. welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah. And so for folks that are longtime listeners, Dan was the new hunter that joined us on a podcast last fall after one of QDMA's uh, field to fork mentored hunts. And he went out on one of his first hunts with, with a friend of ours, Jason Mikoff. And, um, and then we decided that this year we we're going to put you to work on the back 40 yep. and then bring you out for another hunt. Yep. And then to his left is half person, Charlie. Charlie doesn't have a microphone. Um, but if you recall the podcast last week with Tony Peterson, Justin, and Charlie, um, if you're ever wondering what Charlie's thinking, it's probably something related to staring off into the stars or junk food. UFOs. UFOs. I've even brought up UFOs. Sasquatch. We talked about it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> for, quite a, for quite a lengthy time. So, so Charlie's here and listening. If he's got something really important to say, he's going to grab a headset. Uh, if not, he's just going to give us the look. And then we got Justin, cameraman extraordinaire. He's been a rock star out here for the last 10, 12 days, whatever it's been. Filming me, filming Dan, um, getting a lot of good stuff on film. So that's our crew. And um, let's let's talk a little bit. Let's start with the back 40. How about that? Um, I want to talk a little bit about what's been going on here, what's happened, what led you to uh, what happened last night. And then um, as we're kind of going through this, we're going to talk through some things. Dane, jump in. Justin, jump in. Whoever. Um, But we are here for two hunts, right? We wanted to get Dane a shot at a buck out here on the property. You won the hunt. Want to show you a good time. And then also Dan, as I mentioned, is back out here trying to get a shot at his first year ever. Um, Before we get into last night, Dan, can you kind of give us an update on how you're hunting experiences have progressed since last fall so last mm-hmm. fall we had talked and you dabbled a little bit by mm-hmm. yourself you did a hunt with a mentor one time yep. um, in between then and you know pre prior to this trip mm-hmm. walk me through what you've done what your experience has been trying to learn to hunt and figure this out on your own still yeah so last year like you said went out with jason Mikoff from uh, at, at that field of four program got me going and then i started getting out there on my own just on public land right um, 
tried to dabble a little bit, just getting comfortable in the woods, getting comfortable in certain situations where I might be able to find some deer, maybe get a shot off. You know, I, I kept practicing my bow and, and that's what I really wanted to do is try to get a, a deer with my bow. Um, you know, had a few encounters, but nothing really, really, you know, legitimate, uh, just kind of was really getting the feel of it. Uh, it wasn't until this season where I kind of started really cranking up, uh, cranking up my efforts. Um, I started doing a lot of research over the summer, you know, on X on, you know, on my home computer, just figuring out places to go scouting a little bit in the summer. So I, I've pinpointed a few spots that I wanted to go hunt. Um, got my gear situation figured out. I ended up deciding that I was going to hunt via a saddle. Uh, so I got comfortable with that. Um, so this season is, has been like a, a huge, huge step in my game. Um, just trying to figure out the whole thing and trying to, you know, make things happen and getting, getting a deer. So it's been fun. I've had a lot of, uh, you know, frustrations and good learning experiences, uh, this season. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's been good. Any frustrations that stand out? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, big one, uh, big one has been just just learning things on my own. Um, obviously, like we were talking about, like getting out there and seeing like certain sign and trying to interpret that sign and what what that's really telling me. Um, you know, trying to figure out if this is a good spot to set up at versus that spot. Um, dealing with hunting pressure. Um, that's been a big one because most of my hunts have been on public land, right? Like I'll, I'll, I'll find a spot on Onyx and, and think it's money just to freaking hike in there. And there's a, there's a tree stand set up right where I thought I would, I'd be hunting. So, so that's been some frustrations. Um, I don't know how much you want me to get into this, but I, last week on a hunt, my last hunt before I came out here, I actually took a shot at a deer, um, and missed. So that's been, that's been a, a frustration of mine and, you know, getting around that, trying to learn from it, trying to grow from it, taking these experiences and trying to, trying to just pick out certain things and figure out how I would do it differently next time, um, has been, has been good, frustrating, but good, but you know, it's been fun. So, so walk me through that, that archer encounter. Yeah. What happened there? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I was out on a Wednesday. I had work off for Veterans Day, so I woke up at 3 a.m., drove out to... He's doing so good. (laughs) He's telling us, Justin and I were sitting in the blind together and he's telling us what he's doing, and I just, I listened to him like, he's on the right freaking track. For sure. Yeah, thanks, guys. He's He's actually too deep at this point. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There's... Some of the details he gave us, there's no turning back. So yeah, he's he's doomed. His, his girlfriend's doomed. His girlfriend is doomed. Guys, you guys have ruined me, man. Like, <laughs> you know, I feel bad for her, but it's it's over now. He's like, hey, man, I bought an ozone generator. And I'm running my clothes. They're like, oh, buddy. <laughs> yeah. You're speaking my language. Then he said the word maps, and I'm like, yep, uh, welcome. So sorry, you woke up at 3 a.m., my kind of wake-up time. <laughs> yeah, woke up at 3 a.m., drove out to a public land spot that I've been hunting, set up didn't see anything in the morning and you know just was getting frustrated because my whole season has been like fired up gonna set up at this spot and then not seeing anything so i've I've had so few encounters this season that it's been it's been challenging so i just decided you know you know whatever i'm just gonna go to a completely different spot for the afternoon hunt hike around try to find some good sign and you know see what happens right 
So I did exactly that. I, I found an, another section. Um, a lot of guys were out, so I just wanted to get away from the guys. Found a little spot, you know, probably three quarters of a mile into the public land. A um, lot of good sign. I basically set up on this like deer highway, what it, what it seemed like. Um, set up on the ground because I didn't really feel comfortable getting up in the saddle. And um, probably like an hour into the hunt, I saw I saw some movement off to my right. Um, looked like there was two, do- two doe kind of passing through. And then um, I was going to wait for them to kind of come my way and then maybe set up on a spot, but they just never did. And then I always, you know, you're always saying, like, you got to find the spot within the spot, right? Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Should I move over there? Should I not? What do I do? Um, so it was getting, like, last last hour of light, probably, like, 45 minutes to last shooting light. And I said, you know, screw it. I'm going to walk over there and just see if I can set up on this spot. Maybe something will come cruising by. So I did that. On my way over there, I bumped those two doe. They ended up sticking around. <laughs> I bumped them. I said, "Whatever, you know, hunts over at this point." But didn't want to. I didn't want to leave because I didn't want to screw up anybody else's hunt on my way out. So I just kind of set up on the ground, and sure enough, they came. They came back, and um, they came back, and they were meandering around me. One got to about thirty yards behind me. She was directly downwind of me, just sniffing at me, stomping her feet, whatever. And I just knew I was like busted, right? But uh, she was kind of quartering away from me and she wasn't running off, but she was kind of looking back. And I just said, I'm going to try to just, you know, make something happen. Uh, Drew back. Was it a shot I should have taken? I don't know. Probably not. A little further out of my comfort zone in terms of my range. She was probably 30 to 35 yards. Let one rip, and I just hammered the trigger right, and I saw the I saw the arrow fly right. I knew I missed it, and <laughs> at that point, I was like, "Whatever, you know." It it was it was cool just to get a shot off at a deer. It was cool going from like, "Okay, I'm set up here, not seeing anything. I'm gonna reposition and maybe give myself an opportunity." And then I did get an opportunity, which was awesome, uh, but just didn't make it happen. And um, I don't know. That was kind of the hunt. So the very first time I ever drew back on a deer, I was, I don't know, what well, I hunted for quite a few years before I did, I don't know, 17, something like that, maybe 17, 18. And it was a four-point buck that came walking in along a ridge. And I was in the ground blind down a little bottom. And then there's this main trail that came down the side of this ridge. And I remember, I remember seeing this movement cresting the ridge and then antlers and I thought oh my god there's a buck and it's getting closer and it's getting closer and then I don't remember anything (laughs) and then there was an arrow sticking in a tree (laughs) I essentially blacked out once that buck came in I mean my body went into autopilot I wasn't thinking I had no control over myself it just was like there was a buck I drew back and all the arrow was flying and uh, what happened then afterwards I'm sitting there thinking how did I get to this point? Did that, did anything like that happen with you? Did, was it like a moment? Did you feel like you were in control? Were you there mentally? Or was it like, holy crap, I'm shooting a deer and then it just happened? Because because I'm, I'm trying. what I'm trying to say is that it is normal to feel that, yeah. way, especially yeah. early on. Yeah. Can you describe like your mindset and what Ooh. was going through your head? Yeah. If you I can was, recall. I was there mentally. I didn't black out by any means. Um, but... The deer, the doe knew, like what she was looking at, right? So I, I was, I was worried about getting busted, and and I, I was, 
I wanted it so bad, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted that shot. I wanted it to go my way. And the nerves started to hit me and I, I was kind of shaken. Um, I was shaken to the point where like when I did draw my bow back, all the practice and all the repetition that I had over the summer in season repetition with my bow kind of just like went out the window, mm-hmm. right? Like my process drawn back, getting my anchor points ready, you know, feeling my kisser button kind of just like out the window at that point. So, so that's after, after I took the shot, I realized like I didn't go through any of the things that I normally do yeah. practicing with my target, yeah. you know, um, that coupled with the nerves, I think just, just kind of ruined, ruined my opportunity, hammered the shot. Like I said, and mm-hmm. you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a good shot. Does that sound familiar to any of you guys? Justin Dane, have you ever been in that situation? Yeah, for sure. That's what, that's what's, you know, as time goes on and the more you put yourself in those scenarios, like then you start to kind of reel it back in. But yeah, there's yeah. definitely like a bit of a blackout. <laughs> yeah early on for sure dane you're you've just gotten a bow hunting the last couple of years right yeah i've i picked up a bow two years ago and uh i mean i have yet to let an arrow go on an animal and i probably have to deal with that same thing too like yeah. i have the checklist i do at home when i shoot and it's you know it's don't grip too tight anchor yeah. point don't yeah. punch yeah. all that stuff's in my head when i'm practicing but i've yet to have to like i don't know, put it in game form yet uh, and i can tell you having been bow hunting for, I don't know, 20 years or something like that, um, and killed a lot of deer with a bow, I still have had moments where that stuff flies out the window to a degree. Like, it's a constant battle, constantly trying to keep your composure, stay in control of the process. I mean, if anyone anyone who's listened to the podcast for a long period of time knows that, you know, several years ago I had to completely reconstruct how I shoot to try to reclaim control. And it's been significantly improved the past few years, but I still make mistakes too. So this is something that everybody listening, I think, can relate to in one way or another. And the only ways that I've found to, to, to get that control back, and the only way I've heard consistently from other people, is to do two things. One is to constantly practice that situation and, and try to make it as automatic being in the process, trying to make that as automatic as possible so that checklist and all the steps you need to take becomes drilled into you. So there's no way your body doesn't do anything except for nose on the nose on the string, anchor point, you know, don't torque the bow, all that stuff. So that's so automatic that even if your brain does shut down, your body does all the right things. And then number two, and most importantly, it's just doing it. It's just being in that moment and handling that situation and shooting under pressure. You can replicate it a little bit by shooting with friends or shooting in competition, finding some way to add some some degree of pressure to the shot, and, and that, in a way, will replicate you know the pressure of a deer in front of you, but nothing quite does it like an actual animal in front of you and, and having to do that. Um, Justin, you've missed some deer, probably, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. How do you, talk me through some situations you've been through. Is there anyone that stands out? Yeah, I mean, do you want misses or do you want like bad shots? You could say whichever story you think better best showcases uh, something you can learn from, oh, something man. you can identify a problem with. Yeah, I th- I think the the biggest thing is like slowing down. It's like as as the moment ramps up, you have to slow it down. Yeah, and that's 
you know, I think time practicing and the repetition, you just have to create muscle memory and overcome. Like, I mean, we were talking yesterday about this thing that happens to you when a deer comes in and, you know, either you shoot or you don't shoot, but your body goes into this like different mode. Yeah. And you, you know, I don't know exactly how you control it. Uh, you just kind of had to ride with a ride, you know, you're along for the ride. And, um, but yeah, creating that, like I, I you know, I have a deer that still kind of haunts me and it's hanging in my friend's house. Um, I, it was one of my first all day sits and it was like three o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, you know, I guess starting to lose focus, you know, it was a long day. And it, it all can happen so quickly. I think that's one thing is like, you don't always have the luxury of seeing like, okay, it's at 300 yards. Now it's at 200 yards. Now it's at, you know, it's like, oh crap, there is a doe with a buck behind it. And, um, yeah, I, it's like, I don't know how you really, uh, reel in that because you need, you feel like, oh, I got to make it happen. I got to make it happen. But yeah, I mean, like even you, like the other day watching you shoot that deer, you know, I've, I've heard you talk about your process and whatnot. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like you're, talking, it, about, you're talking about me. Yeah. Watching me yeah, shoot. Sorry. The drop yeah. Mark. Okay. Um, so yeah, when I was in the tree with Mark, I've, I've heard him talk about his process and these things that he goes through and I'm on the deer filming and like I know that he is drawn back and I'm like why is he not shooting and then like looking back at the footage and like seeing what was going on it's like you somehow you have like kind of honed in on like that process and were able to slow down and I kept thinking when I would shoot I would have shot before you but like I mean and you you killed the deer um and yeah, so that, that buck came in behind the doe. She was at 30 yards. They were at 30 yards, and, you know, I felt like I had little time, and, you know, I punched the trigger. It's like the, it's one of those things, like, I think we all work at, and, um, you know, I've even, I feel confident with my release, but I, I want to go further. Like, I, I can kill deer with my current setup, but I'd love to go further because taking out any chances of like, uh, something that could go wrong, you know? So I've toyed with going to a back tension release, but yeah, it's never easy. No. And I think you bring up a good point, which is anyone out there right now, anyone listening, not even the very best, most ice cold killer out there is always going to be perfect. Mm Mm-hmm. We all are going to have those moments where it doesn't go just right. It, even if you do everything right, there's still a wild animal, and there's there's these variables that are out of your control too. So what I've always thought is that just be working to get better, always getting better. Every single year in the offseason, okay, I did pretty good last year. Maybe I didn't do so good last year. What things can I identify that I can work on? What can I do differently? How can I do something to, to, to take that next step or two or three steps so that next year I'm a little bit better than it was last year. And you brought up the fact that you felt like you had to take the shot. Like it was, you got to take advantage of this opportunity. And you said the same thing, Dan. And there's, there's like three types of misses, I think, that, that happen. 
there's there's probably a lot more of that, but I can think of like three categories. There's one category where someone's out there shooting and they just have not practiced enough. They they just they can't shoot well, and that one's just kind of on you. Everyone's got to make sure that they're practicing, that they're competent, etc. But then there's two other kinds of misses that tend to happen for people that are competent with their equipment and with their process, but still happen. And one of those is um, just like target panic, buck fever. You just like your nerves got a hold of you, and you, you know, just you lost track of your process. And then the third one is what I think you described, Justin, which is forcing a shot. A situation where you feel like I gotta take the shot. We work so hard for this stuff all year, right? We put in a lot of time, a lot of time in season, a lot of team time off season, put in energy, we sacrifice, we take vacation days, or we don't spend time with our families or friends, or we wake up at 3 a.m., whatever it is. And all that builds up, builds up, builds up, and you've got this like weight, or this thing in your chest that feels like I'm supposed to get this thing done, it's finally here, oh my God, I have to, I got to do it right now, and bam, you force something that you shouldn't have. And let me tell you what, I can relate to that. I had a situation, I've had, I hate that I can name several situations like this, but there's a buck that a lot of you guys heard me talk about back in 2014, the biggest buck I'd ever been able to hunt at that time. Great big buck down in Ohio. And I've been hunting him for two years. And finally, it's like October 16th, actually. I made like a kind of impromptu move. Drove four and a half hours down to this property because I thought he'd be moving with this weather front that came through and took a dive in close to his bedding area. And the second day, I made a move in there. And bam, out of nowhere, he's there. Like I turn around, he's right there, like 20, 25 yards or something like that but walking quickly across this opening. And I remember thinking this exact same thing you did, Justin. I said, I have to get the shot. He's about to walk out of my life. And and I spun around, and I'm trying to get the camera on him, and I'm trying to draw back, and he's about to walk behind these bushes, and I'm like, I got to shoot now. And I just did it. And I didn't slow down. I didn't focus on my process. I forced the shot, hit back and low, and didn't find him for a couple months. Didn't find him till the winter. And that's one that has stuck with me for a long time. So the question when that kind of thing happens is, is what do you do? The question after any of these is what do you do next? How do you handle that? What do you learn from it? So coming out of that one, it was trying to find ways to like get my mind back to process. So something coming out of that hunt, I remember was trying to develop a mantra of sorts this is a common thing a lot of people talk about, a way to use verbal cues to pull you back into control. So, it, you know, at, at that point, I'm trying to remember what I was saying back then. I think it was, um, I honestly can't think of what it was. Uh, but I had some kind of verbal thing. It was something just like slow it down, slow it down, slow it down. Just something that can break you out of the trance. Because there's this kind of shot trance that we get into. When he's coming in and you're just like, oh, I got to go. If you can somehow snap it. I've found if you can break yourself out, of it's kind of like there's this invisible barrier. You know those movies and they show like a force field around something and it's a force field that you can kind of push up against like a bubble, but if you can finally burst through that bubble and it explodes, you can get through. When you are trying to get a shot at a deer with a gun or a bow, you're stuck in this crazy bubble of intensity and this moment's insane and you're, you're in this blackout bubble if you can somehow find something that can push you through and pop it, all of a sudden sanity can take control again. The mantra is one way to do that. 
I've worked on several other things that have helped me, but usually it's some kind of verbal cue, a checklist, something that can snap you. If you can get to step one and actually think about it in your head, it's a whole hell of a lot easier to get to step two. And if you can literally say the words, okay, splash it on, get on the target, okay. Watch it, keep it. Okay, which is, so for me, like my process right now, drawback, it's, it's splash it on there. I, I took this from Brian Call and I just used it. Um, so that's just get the pin on the, on the deer where you want it and then watch it, keep it. So now I'm just watching the pin. I'm letting the pin float. I'm just going to watch, 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 and then it's pull, 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 pull. And so all at that point, once I'm on, I'm watching it for a couple seconds, and then I'm just going to slowly pull, pull, pull until that sucker goes off. And I use a back tension release now so that I kind of lose a little bit of control in that I can't determine when the trigger gets punched. All I can do is pull. And it's just like a slow squeeze back with the shoulder. And then it goes. And that's helped me a lot. Not saying I'm perfect, but it's helped me a lot. Um, that's, that's one way to think about some of these things, I guess. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. Let's get to then, Dan, what happened on this hunt. So we're going to keep working through a number of different examples here and talking about what we can do from those. So, Dan, you, you had that archery encounter and then you're going to come out here and hunt with us. Um, what were your thoughts coming into this hunt? Were you excited? Were you nervous? Did you think I'm going to kill a deer? Did you think this is 
do you want to do this? Were you feeling pressured to do this? <laughs> Where's your head? No, I, I didn't feel pressured to do this at all. I, I, I was I was really excited. Like you guys had me out over the summer. I, I put some work into the property and, and I was fired up to to come out and hunt with you guys, right? So I was happy to be here and, and I was ready to go. I, I did you know, like my rifle hunting experience has been limited, right? So that that aspect was kind of, you know, I, I was a little unsure about it, but you know, I, you know, I, I felt pretty confident that you guys would coach me through it, and we would end up getting getting into something. Um, so I was pretty, was pretty excited, pretty kind of nervous, but yeah, I felt good. Yep. Uh, and so we started the trip. Dane and Dan came over my place. We did some shooting. Everyone was shooting really good. We felt good about stuff. Um, and then we head out to hunt. First day. We had lousy weather. It was like monsoon, crazy wind. Welcome to Michigan, Dane. <laughs> a little rough. <laughs> was that uh, probably wasn't what you were expecting? Yeah, and that's the thing. I didn't know what to expect. I think I'd asked you, I don't know, a week or two before I came out. It's like, what should I plan for for weather? And you told me, well, it's been 75 here, but it could get down to the 20s. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a wide range. I didn't know what I was coming into and what to expect when I did get here. And yep. she, uh, she, gave her he- she gave us hell. That's for sure. <laughs> Kansas and Michigan. Yeah, it was some serious blowing winds. I think it was like 25 to 30 sustained type winds with gusts up to 60 at one point there, Sam. Um, there were a couple times where the gusts <laughs> hit those tower blinds, and I was like, Ugh. Blinds got a little rocky. <laughs> yeah. About to get some good footage of us falling over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but everything held up darn well. I mean, yeah. the wall tent, never, nothing pulled down the wall yep. tent. I was Solid very, construction, whoever set very, it up. Very impressed. Yes, it must have been us that did a good job. <laughs> Um, and the tower blinds withstood it all. I was pleasantly surprised with all that. Um, but day one was pretty rough. We saw what the first morning we saw Dan and I, what three deer, three does. Yeah, I think so. I think we had the one that busted us and did we see a few more? I'm trying to remember. I feel like we saw three in the morning and three in the evening, but I can't remember. I can't remember where those three were. I remember the one that came down by itself, but where were the other two? Well, in the evening... You're talking about the evening? No, in the, oh, morning. in the morning. I can't remember. I saw nothing but sideways rain. You saw sideways rain. Our blind. And then we played a lot of euchre in the middle of the day, which is fun. Found out that Dan's a cheating fool. Oh, I played a win, man. <laughs> yeah, this guy here. Cheating. Oh. cheating is not the right way to describe my Luckily euchre. Luckily, you didn't. <laughs> Luckily, you didn't know about his. That, that is uh, fair game. <laughs> yeah. He probably wouldn't have been here if you'd have known about his character. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we would have redacted that invitation real quick if I played cards with you beforehand. I said, uh, I played a win. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, we snuck out at the end of the evening. Even it was crazy windy. We thought, you know what, let's just sneak out on the ground and see if we can spot something and maybe get lucky. We ended up seeing three does, which, you know, could have been a buck behind him. You never know. It could have worked out, but it didn't. It was worth a shot. And uh, next morning, we switched locations. We ended up seeing three does. Yep. Or a handful of does. No, five does. We saw five. Oh, yeah. There's right. the first two, and then another group of three. And Dane, what'd you see? Saw three. Three. Three does. So we've been seeing kind of a handful of does every sit. It's kind of been the story, but no bucks until last night. Um, and this is a relatively short hunt, three day hunt with bad weather on the first day. We're on night of number two, so we're approaching two-thirds of the way done. Dan, uh, how are you feeling going into the hunt last night? We set up back near the honey hole, uh, same spot that my dad was hunting one of the nights when he came out here, um, close to where I killed my buck a week ago. 
Um, did you feel good? Did you feel? Yeah, I felt really good going into the evening hunt last night. The weather was kind of calming down. The wind was going to die down in the evening, right kind of near last shooting light. So I think I told you earlier in the day, I think like tonight's, tonight's, I have a good feeling about tonight. Yeah. So yeah, I was really excited. Yeah, I felt really good too. Like you said, the we've been having crazy wind and bad weather, and and yesterday evening was the first day. It was really gonna first time it was gonna it was gonna die down. It was real cold, bluebird skies. It just seemed like deer should be moving. And sure enough, we got to the last hour or so, last forty five minutes, and bam, first deer we see behind us. Justin actually spotted it first. Nice, nice eye, Justin. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a buck standing right behind us. First buck we've seen of the hunt. And just, just as there's a buck right behind us. And then I slip my head around, I look out the side window and I see right away, it's like a nice, tight, tall buck. Um, and he's, he's staring right at us. Dan, what was going, walk me through your thoughts at this point. So we say there's a buck, I spin around and, and you didn't move. You were just kind of sitting there. I'm like, Dan, you should be getting ready now. <laughs> His breathing started moving, though. Yeah. So, Dan, walk me through what was going through your head when, when you heard there's a buck. And, and then the process began. And I'll, I'll let you kind of tell the story from here if you want. And maybe sure. we'll, we'll jump in, but you, you walk yeah, us I'll, through. I'll do my best to try to give you guys a feel for what happened. So, so Justin says there's a buck behind us. First thought in my mind is like, you're kidding. And then, <laughs> so yep, that's just here telling no, but really, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like, all right, here we go. Like, um, so f- like my next thought was like, all right, I want to get eyes on it to just, just see where it's at, see what I have to do next. Um, where the buck was at was, wasn't really where we were anticipating anything to really come by. Yeah. Right. Like we were kind of checking the back, but we weren't really like focused on that being a scenario where we would take a shot. Like yep. we were, we were looking out of the front window. I was looking out of the side. You were looking out of the side, but the back window was kind of like our least expected opportunity. Um, so we kind of had to do some like shuffling around. Right. Yep. Um, so Justin had to get a camera in position. I had to get like my shooting stick over to where I think, you know, I thought I could get comfortable and get the gun set up and um, get in position to take a shot. Uh, so at that point, the buck was just kind of staring at us, right? Yeah, it was downwind. Yeah. He, he knew something was up, but apparently didn't know enough because he didn't move. He just stood there just kind of like nose up, looking, staring, yeah. but but for a long time, for a minute right. or two, I don't know, for right. quite a while. Right. I'd ranged him. Yep. As soon as I saw him, I'd spun, got my head out there and ranged him. It was just over 100 yards. Um, and then, yeah, you, you, you started getting in position, knelt down, got your shooting stick up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you were kind of, you were doing, Mark, you were doing a good job with like, you know, take your time, um, you know, get comfortable and then, you know, he's going to start walking away and right then, you know, I'll try to make a a big noise to stop him. And that's where, that's when we'll have, try to, you know, have an opportunity to get a shot. And uh, so I get set up. I'm I'm shaking, man. You know, I'm getting nervous. I'm getting the buck fever coming, coming down. I'm I'm breathing heavy, but I'm just trying to stay in control as best as possible, right? Um, I had a little awkward thing going on with my shooting stick where I had to prop it up against my leg, get the gun up. But uh, I had the buck in my view, had him in in the crosshairs, and as he started to walk away, he kind of turned away from us. Um, took a few steps and then looked back 
and he was quartering away from us. Perfect, like perfect opportunity, right? Like perfect case scenario to get a shot. Mark, you didn't really have to give him a, a big noise or anything, nope. but I just kind of like kept saying, don't rush the shot. Don't rush the shot. Like, just like we practice, just easy squeeze. And, um, for what it was worth, it was a pretty hard quarter. So yeah, you, I mean, he, he wasn't, you know, he was definitely less broadside than you would hope, but he, your angle makes it look worse than it was for my angle. It looked not oh, really? terribly bad. I mean, it was a good shot. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it was definitely the best that he had given us at yeah. that point. I, when I saw him in the scope, I said, this is, yeah. this is fantastic. Um, and I, I, I put the crosshairs where, where they needed to be. Obviously I had some, I had some shake in me, you know, um, and then, uh, I let it rip, right? Like I let it rip and I kept looking through the scope. He, he started to trot off, but he didn't like, you know, go busting through sprinting away. Like he spooked, he kind of trotted off, went into the fence row, kind of in like that wooded area. Um, looked back, was flicking his tail, had his, had his leg up. And my first thought after I took the shot was like, like what happened? Like, did I, did I hit him? Why didn't he drop? Right? Like, that's what I was looking for. I was like, why didn't he drop? Like he didn't drop. I must've missed. Um, so, so then I think it was you guys were like, you hit him. Like, I, I think that was a good shot. And then he, he it looked like he either turned down like a, a little ridge or a little hill and i think you guys said like we think he went down he tipped over and i said really like I, like i'm thinking in my head like well, i don't i don't know like you know I, I don't know if i missed him i don't know if i hit him and it wasn't a good shot I, I started to get a little worried yeah and and i remember looking through the binoculars watching it all happen and at the hit i couldn't see impact but the way he started running off sort of I immediately thought that's a good hit. Yeah. Because the tail tucked almost immediately and he almost looked a little hunched over and then when he got to the edge of the woods he stopped and, and that's when it looked like he was a little hunched and the tail started flicking. And the first thing I thought when I saw that was, okay, hit in the back, hit back a little bit. Because whenever you see a deer that hunches up and the tail goes kinda like that, that seems like a paunch hit of some kind. But with quartering away angle, I thought, okay, entry a little bit back, which explains why it reacted that way. Exit right through the lungs, dead deer. And so so he, he stops for a couple seconds like that just inside the tree. So you can just kind of see his figure like that. And then he t- tail keeps flicking, step, step, step. And then it really looks like it, did look it like really he looks like, his head, like it dropped. I, don't, I can't explain what we were seeing, but it really looked like that. So that's why I saw the binoculars and then we all... Justin and I both thought, man, we think that's a that's yeah, a hit deer. There is nothing that he did that indicated that he wasn't hit. I mean, yeah, just like you explained, it's like Dan, and now I feel like you know a goon because like I just totally myself misinterpreted it. You know, do you feel complicit now? I feel like uh, Dan's not going to trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, Justin. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Um, but man, we were stoked and, uh, Dan was like sitting there. I'm like, dude, who, you got to start like texting people, like Like, get excited about this. When we, uh, when we heard the shot over in our blind, 
it was immediate me and charlie looked at each other and we were stoked yeah like we heard the shots like that was dan that's a deer like it's down i pulled out my phone immediately and just was waiting for a text message <laughs> just waiting for something so we were feeling the excitement too over in our blind for it yeah we were so excited uh, yeah and and you know that's that's those moments are what you live for as a hunter like that ultimate euphoria dan just shot his first deer we were so excited for you and yeah and and you were the one being cautious which was smart me and justin were like little stupid kids <laughs> so, <"Woo-hoo!" laughs> yeah. and uh you know long story short we can kind of fast forward a little bit we decided to you know give it a little time go back get the get the utv get the rest of the crew um just make sure everything was cool and then we go back out there and look and and when we went back out there to look couldn't find blood couldn't find blood couldn't find hair couldn't find anything um searched and searched and searched no sign and then we thought well let's just peek over to where we saw him go down quote unquote he should be right there go over there nothing nothing no blood no blood we find one speck of red that we think is blood that's it uh we spent quite a deal quite a good amount of time from there continuing to look went in a little ways at this point after finding nothing between the site impact and where we thought the deer had gone down and in so little sign i started getting worried but i have a friend with a tracking dog who um who i know is really good and has helped a lot of people in this situation so once we got to that point where it was like okay we do not have good blood we've searched a decent ways in here without any kind of positive sign um what he's always telling me is like don't screw it up for me. If you're not feeling good about it, don't go too far and ruin it for the dog. Let the dog do the work. So we eventually decided to pull back, wait for the dog, and and not push our luck. So we had my friend come out with his dog. We continued to look more around the site of impact, trying to find something, continued to look inside the woods, trying to find something. My buddy comes out with his dog. He goes tracking. The dog's on a track, but he, she doesn't follow blood. She follows like an interdigital gland scent. So even though there was no blood, she was tracking something. But he kept going and going and going. And Justin, you were with him for a while, so you saw this. But to to make it, uh, to kind of take hours of time and compress it into a short period, um, you know, they found zero blood, found zero deer, found no hair, found nothing. And yeah, we, when, re- we restarted that track three times yeah. just to be sure um, that she was on the right deer and yeah, we just never, never could find anything. Yeah, and he went and did downwind sweeps of all the different areas of cover just in case to see if she could smell a body or something, nothing. Um, so I don't know. It was it was midnight or 1 o'clock or something by the time we called. We called it. And um, I ended up finding, after looking for more blood, I found in this area where we found that little speck of blood, you know, like a little less than a fingernail of blood, um, there's a lot of these little berries, like red berries. And one of the berries, I was smashing berries to try to see, like, what does the smashed berry look like? And one of them had, like, an orange jelly-like consistency. I was like, okay, that doesn't look anything like our blood. So that must be really blood. But then later, I was testing on another berry, and that one looked exactly like our speck of blood. There was a dark red berry. So then I was starting to question, like, was that even blood? We looked at the footage over and over again, like, man, we can't see an impact. We can't see, like, maybe maybe this little movement on his shoulder is it, but we just can't tell on the small screen. Um, and so we, we pulled out for the night, 
you guys blew it up on the big screen and looked at it again. And what did you guys see, Justin, when you looked on the big screen? Yeah, we got back at 1230 and I was like just kind of dying to see what had happened. Because I, I knew once we got like uh, zoomed in a bit, it would tell more of the story. And um, I could see the shot and immediately, you know, the deer reacted. And when you go frame by frame, like then I see behind the deer there's a reaction at the base of this tree and i see a stick jump and then i see like there's so it was immediately evident that like the shot was over its back and it hit the tree behind and there was a little bit of a you know and obviously you have a three inch screen you can't really tell what's going on but yeah yeah. so it was like man i wish we could have seen this sooner but it was it actually was a relief because I knew then we could tell Dan, like, listen, the deer's not hurt at all. What we what we thought was blood must be these berries, which we kind of like wrestled with the whole time because we kept kind of seeing. And so I knew that Dan was already like struggling, but I knew like part of that struggle was the fact that he has a wounded deer out there. So it was a way to to add closure to that situation. And, like, hopefully get him uh, mentally where he could try again. Yeah. So we ended the night and, you know, kind of said, Dan, take tonight, sleep in, think about what you want to do, and then let's figure out how we want to proceed from here. What was last night and this morning like for you? Yeah, last night was rough. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It it was like, you know, a lot of different things happening in my mind, like, you know, the big thing was, all right, I, I just shot at an animal. I wounded it, but he didn't die. Um, that, that was, that's been like my biggest thing with, with getting into hunting is like, I don't want to like have to put, you know, more than one arrow into a deer, more than one shot into a deer. I just want to clean an ethical kill like that. That was, that was really eating away at me. Uh, the other part of it is like we were we were out, all of us were out, and I you know I really appreciate you guys being out and being so supportive. Like that was like God, like I put us in this situation. I'm bringing the whole group down. Like I feel terrible, but you, I mean, you guys are great, Justin, you, Junebug, and Andy. Like put in put in some work to try to figure out what was going on, and I really appreciate that. That was going through my mind, and I just I felt bad. I felt you know a little bit of embarrassment, like I just just kind of had a sick to my stomach type type of feel yeah. in so many different ways. That that was last night, but you know I, I went back. I was so exhausted, and I ended up luckily crashing right away. Um, you know, woke up this morning, and I had talked to one of my fishing buddies, Will, and he was you know he, I was running him through everything was going on. I was telling him like, what should I do? Like, should I just kind of take it off or whatever? And he was like, kind of talking me through some stuff. He, he's like, he he's a fan of Jocko, and he goes, you know, when something bad happens, like, good, get better. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, all right, like now you got me all fired up. Yeah. So you know, you had mentioned you had mentioned maybe you know you know taking the morning off and getting some some more shots and making sure our gun was good, and then maybe doing something like a, uh, an evening hunt. And I was like, all right, let's let's do that. Let's get comfortable with the gun again, and then let's maybe try to give it another shot in the evening yeah now a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating you know some organ the heart or a chunk of liver 
off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid, and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And, as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Well, I was excited to hear that because my experience has always been that like what happened is the worst. It's the worst feeling. It, you, you go from this euphoria of thinking that the thing you've wanted so badly just happened to just having it crash back down. I mean, there's no wilder swing of emotions that I can think of. We go from, we say it all the time, the highest highs to the lowest to the lowest. I mean, that's, ugh. But the best thing I've found is to you feel it, feel it that day or that night, experience it. Okay, this sucks. This happened. Like, we're not going to ignore that it happened. It happened. But it, it, it's now past us. It's behind us. There's nothing I can, I can't do anything to change what happened. All I can do is change what's next. So like Jocko says, good, now what? Now what are you going to do? And that's the way I've always tried to approach things. So that next day, I like to shoot, get, get my confidence back, and then it's back into it. And so that's what we did. Yeah. This, this morning, you came over to my place. We did some more shooting. You were shooting great. The gun, the sight was actually, for whatever reason, the scope was hitting a little bit higher than we'd have wanted. So we tweaked that a little bit. We practiced different shooting angles, different shooting positions. So you shot seated, you shot kneeling, you shot with a good rest, you shot with just the stick rest. Um, gotcha. You know, I, I hope you're feeling confident again mm-hmm. and locked in. And we're going to go out and give it a crack tonight. So so, so you're, you're feeling feeling ready to take take this next step and yeah get yeah. back after it yeah i'm excited i'm feeling ready yeah last night was rough and you know so many things were going through my mind like god like just i should just stick to fishing or something like, <laughs> you know 
Well, <laughs> but, I'm, I'm glad you got past that because I love fishing. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> it's not as much meat. It's not as much meat. <laughs> and, uh, and I think that when this all comes together for you, and it's going to, I can't yeah. promise it's going to happen today, yeah. but at some point this is going to come together for you. Makes it all the much sweeter. Oh, man. It's going to be an unbelievable culmination for you. And uh, you're going to eat the best food of your life, and you'll never feel so satisfied with a meal. And the work you put into this is going to come back tenfold. And I'm just so excited for that moment. And, and I hope it happens tonight. If not, I hope I'm going to get a phone call or a picture, <laughs> and I'm going to crack a cold one for you. Sweet, man. And I'm yeah. going to be really, really happy because I got a lot of confidence in you. From, from spending time with you, you know, last fall a little bit, this summer, and now this week, um, you are on the right track, man. Thanks, man. You're definitely on the right track. So, so I guess the way to end this then, because we, we know how Dan's hunt went last night, and, and, and we'll get an ending there possibly later today. But you had made these mistakes, or, or maybe not even really big mistakes, but you had these things happen, you, you, you know, the nerves, and we've talked about things like Justin described, feeling like you had to force a shot, feeling like you've had to force a shot. With that deer and the bow, um, you know, you're a brand new hunter and you experienced that. Well, we should end the conversation with a very experienced hunter describing something like that. So, for all of you folks listening, you heard last week I shared the story of how I killed the drop time buck out here in the back 40. Well, when I got that done, we finished filming things and I had a couple extra days before Dan and Dan were going to show up. So I had some bonus hunts. I thought, man, I can get back. And try to get after my target buck again. This deer I've been hunting for the last three years. Call him Tran. Anyone listening for a long period of time has heard too much about this deer. So I was really excited. Like, man, I get to go back after it. Good weather, good conditions. I haven't been in there in four days. Um, he's been in this little pocket so much in the past. I'm going to get back in there and take a crack. So couple updates from the last time I talked about my hunt for Tram. So the last time on the podcast I gave you guys an update, it was after I had seen him locked onto a doe. I tried to spot and stalk in on him, never came quite close enough. And then two days later, I think I made the move into like the middle of this bedding area, super early, set up a new stand, and he came by 10 minutes before shooting light, and I couldn't shoot him, but he was right there at 10 yards, and then he winded me. After he walked past my shooting lane and went downwind. So that had all happened. After that hunt, kept on going after him. The next day, I'm walking out to set up on the north side of this bedding area. And as I'm walking on the outside edge of a cut cornfield, the only way I can get to the north side of the section, um, there's never deer bedded around here. This is a safe access route. It's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon or 1.30 in the afternoon. And a deer, a doe, jumps out from in front of me in like a little 10-foot patch of grass on the edge of this cornfield. The doe starts running. And then right behind her steps up Tran goes running away. He was downwind of me. He was saw me. So I just busted him like 50 yards away, and he goes running away. So that's the second time. And no, well, he winded me twice the day before because he went downwind of me before daylight. And then came 200 yards downwind later in the day, the day prior. And now the next day, I just bumped him visually and with wind. So I'm bummed out and frustrated with that. I reposition for that evening's hunt. Don't see him that night. But the next day, I keep on, keep on moving. And basically at this point in the season, after having had so many encounters with him in, this, in and around this bedding area, 
I decided like the rest of my hunt for him, the key is not, I'm not blowing him out of here. He wants to be in this pocket. It's like 30 acres of thick, nasty, and there's so many does in here. And it just seems like everything I'm seeing, this is where he is. And he's just going from doe to doe to doe in here. And there's no reason for him to leave because there's enough does in here and there's food and cover. And if, if, you know, historically he's not been bothered in this area just this year for the first time I could get into some of this stuff. So I decided I'm just going to keep cycling around this based off wind direction, being one of these couple key places that he seems to pass through the most when he's cruising or where does will take him in and out. And I'm going to camp out in those spots. So that next night I make a move into the same general area, see him again. He's kind of cruising, follows a doe ways, blah, blah, blah. But similar situation doesn't give me a shot um, too far away with her and then follows her out into the corn. That was right around the end of the first period of hunting before I had to come and start hunting the back 40. So come hunt the back 40, kill the drop time buck. Now I'm back on the property. I've got my couple bonus days. First day, it's cold front. Push into the south side of this pocket of bedding because we've got some slightly north-northwest winds and get set up on the edge of the stuff. Every time I'm going, I'm setting a new stands. I've been hunting new spots every single time, going in with my sticks and saddle. About an hour after daylight, um, I'm watching TJ, this buck that looks just like Tran, but like a couple years younger. He comes working past me like five yards. I'm watching him, and I look up, and here comes the real deal. Here comes Tran coming right at me. Um, looks great like this is going to have him grab my bow get clipped on he's at like 75 he's at 70 he's at 65 he's at 60 he's at 55 kind of heading at my right at me and then he ang- turns his angle and starts angling away back to 60 back to 65 back to 70 and at that point i realized okay he's not coming my way um i gotta try something so i grabbed the grunt tube gave him a grunt he stopped looked my way took a step forward and then turn and start walking away again. So like, oh, I'll try to get a little more aggressive and try snort wheeze. And we just had this whole big debate about snort wheezes like the day before with Tony and Justin and Charlie. And I'd always say, man, you know, I, I really don't like to use snort wheezes on immature bucks and, and even on big mature bucks. It rarely works in Michigan where I hunt. But, you know, it was worth a shot. So I rip out a snort wheeze. <laughs> he spins, stares at me. And then does like the head, like left to the right, to the left, to the right. And then he's like, uh-uh, not today, bro. <laughs> and he starts running away. <laughs> he goes bolting off and then stops after like bolting like 40 yards, stops, turns back again. And then just as like a fast-paced walk, kind of paralleling away from me. So once again, another close call. Doesn't come together. I'm like, oh my God, I'm never going to kill this deer. And this has just been like endless. Every couple days I have an encounter with him, but just just a little too far away or something goes wrong or... That was the same story last year, and I've been talking about this deer and busting my balls trying to get this deer, and it's just, it just felt like it was never going to happen. Um, and, and as much as I love hunting deer and I love chasing one specific deer and I love all that stuff, I was definitely getting frustrated. just felt like I just feel like I'm chasing my tail, and um, I don't know. It was just I was kind of just bonking. Just was kind of like, I don't know what to do. Like every night I come back and talk to my wife. She's like, what happened? What do you think? I'm like, I kind of throw my hands up in there. I'm like, I don't know. Like I'm right there, but never right there. And I don't know what else to do. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to keep on trying and keep on being in this general area and and try to be as smart as I can with the wind. And eventually I got to get lucky. 
Like, I just need the right set of circumstances. I'm, I'm right in the game. I just need one more thing to fall in my favor. So, make another move the next day. See him again. But he's chasing a doe out of range. Um, where I was the day before or some shit like that. Takes us one day further. And this is November 12th or 13th. And I pushed in, got in really early, came in the back door of this bedding area, set up just on the outside edge of the really thick, nasty stuff, just with the wind cutting it. And um, I, this is right on his doorstep of the bedding area he likes the most. There's more sign in there than anywhere else. There's more does coming in and out of the spot than just about anywhere else. And I could, I could get away with it with the wind there. And it was kind of a slow morning. But around 9.30.10, I started seeing bucks showing up. Just like it was, there was zero deer. And then all of a sudden, like, buck, buck, buck. And then I saw deer go running past. About 10.30, I saw a buck go running, buck go running, buck go running. The last buck I saw looked like tall tines, tall white tines. Like, Man, that could have been him. That might have been him. It was just a brief flash and this little gap in the timber. But I kind of got ready. So that he might have just ran up in there. Watching, watching, watching. I see some other bucks come back from that direction. And just feeling good. You know, it's late morning now. It's almost 11 o'clock. But when you see that kind of activity, basically what I'm thinking in my head is, okay, there's a hot doe somewhere in my general region. That's that's what I need. And sure enough, not minutes after kind of be sitting there having that internal conversation, a doe pops up over this little berm. And the first thing I saw was she she popped over the berm and then she squatted and starts peeing. And then like her tail's flicking. And then she stops, just kind of hunched over, tail's flicking, tail's flicking, tail's flicking. And immediately like, that's a hot doe. That's a doe, and there's a buck with her. Like, this is, there's something behind her. And I'm watching and waiting. She kind of takes a few more steps and just stands her tail flicking, tail flicking, tail flicking. Takes a few more steps, looks behind her, and I just see the tips of these tines. And then they keep on getting bigger and taller and taller and taller and taller. And Tran the man steps out over this berm. Perfect, like, the image is like we're in this timber. I'm on the edge of this thick stuff, and there's like standing mature timber, and he's actually in the standing mature timber. And there's all these trees, but then there's like one lane in between all the trees, and it looks kind of like if you're in an old cathedral, like an old Catholic cathedral. If you can imagine the aisle that runs down the middle of the cathedral, and you've got all your pews on either side. He was kind of standing there at the end of the aisle like the pastor at the front of this big Roman Catholic church, standing there just proud, holding his hands up, but it was this huge antler. So he kind of turns and looks, and his head's kind of going left and right, and the light's glimmering off him. I think, holy shit, here we go. And then she turns. She'd been going kind of like parallel to me. And she turns and starts walking right to me. And that's when I really said, holy shit, here we go. Grab my bow, and I remember thinking, finally, finally I've got a hot doe that's going to that's bringing him right towards me, and that's what they do. Coming my way, and I remember thinking in this moment, okay, like, what, like, think through everything. Where is she going to come through? I made sure, like, there's no sticks behind you that you're going to bump. When I moved down to position, I said, okay, make sure, how are you going to adjust your knees here? How are you going to be positioned? trying to think through exactly where they're going to pass through. I grabbed my rangefinder, made sure it would be easy for me to grab my rangefinder. I started ranging things in front of her so that I would know ahead of time if she stops behind this tree, she's going to be at this distance. If they come through here, it's going to be that distance. I remember looking at my broadhead, make sure my broadhead didn't get pulled off or anything. I was like trying to like check all. I was like, okay, check, 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 check. And they're just slowly working their way. She comes... 
towards this little old two track that runs right along this edge down nearby. And I remember thinking, okay, that's where she's going to cross this, this two track. If she crosses the two track and gets to the other side of it, she gets into the thick. And then there's, there's, there's no shots at that point. So I ranged right as she crosses, I ranged her and she's about 40 yards. So I'm thinking, okay, he's going to be crossing just about the same place, about 40 yards. And there's a big tree right there, and there's the Y in the tree. And right in between the Y is where she crossed. And I thought, okay, that's my one shot if he comes through there. So she crosses. I'm watching him as soon as he got to, you know, just before that and stepped behind a tree. I drew back, anchored, got on it, and just waited for him to step into that hole. And as soon as he stepped in that hole, I'm like, rant, try to stop him. And he just blasts right through that lane. They didn't even pause. Just like whew, right through zero shot, and immediately is down into that thick with the doe. So now he's at thirty nine or thirty eight or something like that. She keeps walking, and now I remember thinking to myself, "Now what? Like, you have to get a shot. He's right here. He's finally in range. You finally have your chance at this deer that has consumed your life for the last two years and like everything." Like. I've never worked so hard for a deer. I know like every year I talk like that, I guess, but this has really been like a different level. Um, like I've done, I've tried to like analyze like what I do and how I do it and have I made good decisions and have I been doing things the right way. And even though like the results haven't been what I've wanted, I'm a nerd and I, I read a lot about like decision making and like trying to find different ways to analyze the quality of your decisions, how to make better decisions, how to, uh, learn from your results. And there's something called resulting, which is a, a bias that the human mind has typically where you will misjudge decisions based off the end result, when oftentimes an end result is not directly correlated to a decision, but a variety of different factors. So you won't take into effect pure chance. You won't take into effect um, you know, all these different variables. And you'll just say, well, because because such and such guy threw an interception, that was a bad play call, and that quarterback sucks, and that was bad, bad, bad. When actually, maybe it really was. If you look at the probabilities and if you look at everything, it was really the best play call he could have made, and it really was a good pass. But they just got a little unlucky, or that one guy took a step, and it changes everything. And so what I've tried to do over the course of the season is to not judge what I'm doing based solely on the results of each one of my hunts, if I were to do that, I'd be getting more and more and more frustrated. I think I'm an idiot. But to instead try to judge the quality of my decisions throughout the season. And so think, okay, based on what I know, based on what I've seen, based on all the work I've put in, um, you know, did I do the right thing? Did I do the thing that I knew I should do? When I look back and think, okay, with all these factors, was that decision, you know, did I put in the amount of work I should have? Did I do the thing that would have given me the highest probability? Even though it didn't work out, could I have done something different looking back on it without some kind of hindsight bias and would I've done it differently. And many times like, no, it didn't work out, but that was a damn good decision and, and you executed it on the right way. I bring all this up to say that it feel it has felt like more than any other year I have, I've leveled up, but the results haven't panned out that way. I've been like really happy with how I made adjustments and my level of aggression and my willingness to try new things and adapt and adapt and adapt and so now, finally, things are working out, it looks like. It feels like finally, you know, this is it. This is this thing I've been building up to all this time. And he's in this thick stuff. 
and my brain my brain flips over to it's got to happen it's got to happen it's got to happen you need a shot you need a shot you need a shot and all of that slow and smooth and controlled stuff flies out the window and now it's how are you gonna you gotta shoot you gotta shoot you gotta figure out a way to do it and so I remember he's in there and I'm like where there's got to be some way to get a shot through here and I remember I'm, I'm in my saddle, I'm looking up and I'm looking down, I'm trying to find, is there any pocket, is there any hole, is there any gap, is there any little slit I could fit an arrow through? And I find a little hole, like a melon or a small volleyball or something. There's a little hole. I'm like, man, if he comes right through there, which is where the dough was, I could maybe slip one through there. And I remember I had to, I had to adjust my tether. So for anyone who hunts from a saddle, you know what I'm talking about here. I had to like pull my rope down and adjust like three feet down so instead of being like leaning up almost standing on my platform now i'm like three feet down lower like hanging down low my knee against the tree so i'm down low enough so i could actually shoot through this hole and oh i just gotta get charlie horse my leg (laughs) (laughs) getting old it's been a rough one (laughs) i find this hole and i'm looking at the hole i'm thinking i could slip one through there but there's still twigs and branches and stuff all around it it's just the one thing that's not like, impenetrable. But in that moment, I'm thinking, I got to do it. 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 And I draw back as he's getting close. And then he hangs up, and he's standing there, and he's standing there, and he's standing there. And then finally, he steps into that hole. And even if I'm trying to like, remember everything that's going on, I even think in the moment, I said something to myself like, this is f- Oops, excuse me. <laughs> you don't drop the F word on this podcast. <laughs> I remember thinking like this. I think I think I remember having a moment where like this isn't good, but it was like I was already pulling back as that was happening. Like I was I was not drawing back. Like I was on him and I was executing the shot, just hoping I could punch it through. And and moments after I released that arrow, I, I instantly said, I released the arrow and instantly was like that was so stupid. But for the 30 seconds preceding it, I couldn't get that into my head. I couldn't, I had no control of, it was all that pressure built up. It was like a volcano inside of me and I couldn't stop the lava. And it was just, it was just going, the train was going and I had to, I had to shoot. And then as soon as I shot, I knew that I'd done the wrong thing. And I knew that I just did the one thing that I tell myself and I tell other people not to do which is force the shot. I told my dad this. I told you this. You can never, you can always get another shot someday, but you can never take an arrow back. If you force a shot, if you force a bullet, you can never get that back. And I did it myself. And I couldn't get that arrow back. And I missed. And I immediately knew I missed. And I think, I think, you know, when this little tiny hole hit those branches at the end. And it could have been, you know, I saw, it was just like a, it was just a stupid mess. And, and, you know, I, I, I still, now even look back, now I'm just like, uh, I still feel the same way I guess I felt then. Just like devastated and just stupid and embarrassed and pissed. And another thing I remember is as soon as that happened and I said to myself, that was like, what are you doing, man? First thing I thought was, I'm never telling anyone about this. <laughs> First thing I thought was, like, I'm not going to tell my friends. I'm not telling my wife. Um, I was so mad that I just had let that happen. And so frustrated by it 
that I was like, nobody, I can't tell anyone about this. It was like so painful in that moment. Um, yeah, but is, isn't that life though? I mean, obviously it doesn't matter who you are. Like Michael Jordan failed and he was the best, right? We, you always just try your best. And like you were saying, doesn't mean the outcome is going to be the best, but, uh, what if you'd have killed him? Right. You'd have been, you'd have been like, I did the best. I did the right thing. <laughs> yeah. Talk about resulting. Yeah. It's like yeah. The sliver of hope is yeah. what makes us do kind of those I mean, it's, yeah. it's out of left field decisions. Like, you know, it if might we, work. If but. we all did it, if we always like succeeded, uh, then, <laughs> I mean, we, we, how could we grow? You know? So, you know, I think you only think you made the bad, the wrong decision because it didn't work out. Well, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Because even if I did kill him and did hit him, I, I, it's still, if I would have, it would have been by luck. Like It was yeah. still a poor, it was a low-odd shot. I should not have forced a shot through a tiny little gap like that with little twigs and branches and shit all around it. I simply, like, that is not a good, smart high odds shot there was too much room for error it was forced yeah um i guess ethics would come into play there yeah and and so for that reason i shouldn't have like if if i'd watched anyone else do that i would said don't do it don't do it don't do it you can get another shot another day or maybe he'll swing around or maybe he'll turn around or you know you don't need to god forbid i could now the worst case scenario didn't happen the worst case scenario could have been i forced that shot and i did hit him and I hit him in the guts or I hit him in the leg or injure him somehow. I mean, so I, so I got lucky in that regard. At least it was a clean miss. And I was able to eventually get down, go check it, found my arrow, saw exactly zero blood, zero anything on it. So I could confirm 100% clean miss. But thank goodness I didn't wound him. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, could it have worked out? Maybe. Was there very high odds of it working out? No. Was I happy with how I handled the moment? No. It was the exact opposite of what I did four days prior with the drop time buck, right? You talked about how I was in control of my process. I was slow. I wasn't forcing it. You were wondering, why isn't he shooting yet? Well, it was because I was in it. I was focused. I was in control. In this case, it was the, the ship was moving, and I was just hanging on. And, um, and I'm... I, I'm better than that. I'm experienced enough that I shouldn't have let that happen, but it did. And I eventually decided that, you know, uh, kind of back to what I was telling you the other day, Dan, you, you, you know, all you can do is, is figure out what are you going to do next and what good can come from this. Um, we had this podcast a month or two ago, a month ago, maybe with uh, the author of this book, The Obstacle is the Way. And the idea here is that oftentimes, like, it's the challenge, it's the thing that goes wrong, it's the roadblock. That is actually what leads to the thing you want. That's what's going to lead you to growth. That's going to lead you to success. If you, if, you, if you choose to look at it as, as you're the victim, then it can be your downfall. If you look at it, okay, this is a thing that happened, now what? That can actually be the impetus for, for good things. And so looking back on it, I thought, okay, I could keep this to myself and I, nobody has to know and no one needs to look at Mark and think he's an idiot or think he shanked the shot of the buck of his life, the buck he's talked about. No one will give me crap on Instagram about it. No one will judge me. My friends won't know. 
um, blah, 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 blah. And all that seemed very um, tempting in that moment. But then over the course of that day, I thought, okay, this thing happened. Now what are you going to do about it? And there's two good things that could come out of it. One of the good things could be that I could learn from it. I could once again see one of my see and examine and learn from one of my mistakes and get better from it. But also maybe this is something that we can use as an example that can help other people too. And I think what I've tried to do with this podcast is never position myself as like, I am the end all be all expert in all things. And you should look at me and listen to me. And I'm going to tell you exactly how to do things perfectly. Um, I'm not that guy. Anyone who listens knows that I'm not the guy that you need to put on a pedestal and think, man, that guy's a slayer. He's perfect. And I feel like I'd be like that. No, I have been someone who has a huge passion for this thing and I'm always trying to get better and I want to share with everyone what's working, what's not, what we can learn from my mistakes and others and and how do we all grow from that. And so here I am. I'm at my, the biggest mistake, the biggest failure of my hunting um, journey in a good number of years. I haven't had a doozy like this in a long time. And, and here I am, my, my big goal, I've been going after this thing. I put more time and energy into, you know, I did this thing and I blew it. And so the question is now what's Mark going to do? What can he do? Um, and, and for what it's worth, what I've tried to do, what I decided to do is, all right, I'll do just what Dan did that night. That one hurt. It was like a knife in the back. I just felt like I'd let myself down, my family down, you know, whatever, you know, I don't mean to over dramatize it, but it felt intense for me. Uh, but the next day got the bow out and just kept shooting, 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 thinking through, how do you not make that same mistake again? What did I learn from this? I learned that I still do lose control. Now I thought maybe I had it all under control. I thought maybe I wouldn't fall prey to that, but the pressure was there. I felt like I had to force it and I did. And that was a mistake. So next time, hopefully it's going to be a thing where I can catch myself. I can remember the pain of this moment and not let that happen again. I can be better prepared for the next situation. Um, and all, all this, the point of any and all this is that it's going to happen. It does happen. Happened to me. Happened to Justin. Happened to Dan. Um, hope it doesn't happen to you, Dan, with your bow, but it could. Thank you. Appreciate that. I hope it doesn't. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, but in this... There's no like secret formula here. There's no like secret tactic I can tell you. It's going to be like, hey, here's this thing and it's going to change you and you're never going to miss anymore. You're going to be, a, you're going to be just a bow hunting assassin now and you're going to be ice cold. No, you need to live through these things. You got to work through them. You got to keep practicing. You got to keep trying. You got to keep the faith. You have to decide that, no, I'm not going to let that define me. No, I'm not going to let that ruin the rest of my season. You can't change the past. All you can do is decide what do you do next. And damn it, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep getting after it. I'm going to keep getting better. I'm going to keep hunting. And maybe I'll kill this buck someday. Maybe I won't. But I know that I am different and I will be better because of it. And I think as a hunter or a dad or a businessman or a woman or anything, you're not always going to be successful reaching your goal. But you can always get better. You can always work to take that next step. And that's, that's something worth striving for. So that's where I'm at. Well said. Any thoughts? Any closing words? Anything else we want to add to this before wrapping it up? Nope. I got nothing. <laughs>
No, man. I'm good. All right. Well, then here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out for our last hunt of the trip, Dan. We're going to try to get you your first deer. I hope, and I'm crossing all my fingers and toes, that you're going to get a crack at one. Are you wanting to shoot a doe tonight? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so we've got high, higher odds. <laughs> we're going to stop the podcast now. And if we shoot a deer tonight, we're going to come back. We're going to stop for five seconds. We have a long pause here, and then we're going to jump right back in, and we're going to tell you Dan's story of success. If we don't shoot a deer tonight, you're going to hear a five-second pause, and then the damn thing's just going to end. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to leave you with five seconds of drama, and then you're going to find out how tonight went one way or another. So with that, Dan, let's cross our fingers and toes. Dane, same to you. You're hunting too. Hoping that you have some success tonight. Feet on the ground. Feet on the ground. Yeah, we're going to have an exciting hunt. Going to ground pound it. Do me good. Okay, are we ready? I think so. All right, let's start our five-second pause in five, four, three, two, one. And unfortunately, we don't have the happy ending. Had a really close call. At last light, a couple does came out, and Dan almost got a shot at one of them, but the only shot opportunity came when the two does were stacked. There was one younger one directly behind the baby mature doe, and we didn't want to take that shot and possibly hit both, so we passed on it. It was a situation where Dan did the smart thing and didn't force a potentially risky shot. So that was tonight, and with that... We're going to wrap this episode up. I I kind of struggled with this one, especially even after we recorded it as we were walking out to hunt. I was just thinking in my head, did we achieve anything with this podcast? Did we help anyone with this podcast? Was there anything revolutionary with this that was actually going to help someone that made this worth listening to? I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I sure hope so. Um, recording this and putting this out there, I, I sure as hell hope there's some good that can come from this. I hope it wasn't just us rambling on about uh, the the cruddy things that happened to us. Um, but if you're listening to this and that's how you feel, I'm sorry. I hope <laughs> I hope that's not the case, though. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things that is a tough it's a tough deal, right? But I will close with this thought, which is after my miss on Tram that I just told you guys all about, which obviously, you know, really, really bummed me out as I described after all those things happened. Um, I had one really important thing that I remembered and that was my kids. I knew I was going to go home and see my boys. I was going to see my wife. And though at times it can feel like deer hunting is, so, so important, and that whether or not I achieve this goal is so, so important. Uh, having children or family members or those other things in life um, that can center you again, remembering those things and those really, really good things in your life, that can help you put all this in perspective. So, yeah, I missed a deer. Yeah, it was a deer I really wanted to get a shot at. Yeah, I'm very disappointed. At the same time, life goes on. I've got a couple wonderful kids. I've got a great family. 
a good job. Uh, I'm very fortunate. You can't hang your head for too long. And that's what I remember. And I went home and I gave my boys a hug and I ran around pretending to be a wolf while my son pretended to be an elk. And I helped him shoot his pretend Nerf bow and we were laughing and playing and having a grand old time and everything is okay. So for whatever it's worth, that's something that I, that I oftentimes need to remind myself of that this stuff can sometimes be all consuming, but you, you don't need to let it be. There's more to it. And, uh, I'm really lucky. I've got a couple kiddos here at home that help me remember that often. So that is it. That's my long-winded, rambling final thought of the day. I hope this is helpful in some kind of way. Thank you for listening. Thanks for hearing us out and uh, and rolling with us on this one. Hopefully, we're all going to learn a little something. We're all going to get a little better. We're all going to enjoy the rest of our seasons. I hope you guys are having a great season. And I will leave you with one final reminder, some good news. The good news is that Like I mentioned earlier, season two of the Back 40 is now out there. And the second episode just dropped a few days ago. So head on over to the Meat Eater YouTube channel to watch episode two. That's the one that Dan Jejo, the guy we were talking to there, that's the episode in which we introduce him and you see him working on the farm. So check it out. Thank you for everything. We appreciate your time being a part of this community, spending some time with us. And until next time, stay wired to hunt outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer you simply pour a can into your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season so pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more i'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet you can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.